This is the Youth Worker Collective podcast from Young People's Ministries. You don't have to be in ministry alone with resources, coaching, games, and more at umcyoungpeople.com. Jeremy, happy uh, Monday after Easter, sir. Happy Monday after Easter. How are you doing today, Chris? Uh, I am great, and part of the reason I'm great is that I I need to thank both Jesus and Costco. <laughs> this 42-ounce bag. My Cadbury wife mini cannot egg. see this. No? Does she love these things or hate oh, these She's things? got a serious mini-egg addiction. Me too. So these are like the opposite <laughs> of pumpkin spice for me. And Costco had 42-ounce bags this year. I'm thrilled. That um, so I'm going to eat these. Amazing. Yeah, and and be very happy about it. I'm I'm also going to note that you know Jesus probably would not have been a Costco shopper. Uh, I don't think that. Why Jesus, is that? Well, I, I I just I don't get the sense that Jesus was about membership, right? Like okay. if it's a, if it's a members okay. only kind of a thing, I don't think Jesus is there. But you could you can certainly correct me. <laughs> no, I mean I don't I don't think Jesus. I have no. You did I not cover this no in perspective <laughs> on the Jesus Costco membership. You did not uh, cover this in seminary. Time. I am absolutely no. shocked. Well, maybe some, maybe someday in the not too distant future, we can talk about whether Jesus would have chosen to be a Costco member or not. Um, but all that aside, we're actually talking something very serious today. Um, we're going to dip our toes into a conversation about gun violence, uh, which uh, unfortunately is uh, man, listen, if you live in the United States, it, it is a pandemic, right? And um, I think people are trying to figure out the reasons for it. I think people are trying to figure out solutions for it. Um, I live in a community that is really um, has been uh, touched by gun violence fairly recently, right? Like I live outside Colorado Springs. Right. Uh, at the end of last year, there was a shooting at a nightclub called Club Q. Um, obviously, Colorado also has um, some significant mass shootings and school shootings because Columbine was one of the first, if not the first, very widely publicized um, school mass shooting as well. Uh, Nashville, Tennessee had a school shooting uh, within the last 10 days uh, of when we're talking about this live. And you know, just today in Louisville, there was another shooting at uh, a bank that involved adults, right? And so the number of mass shootings, right? Um, and the amount of gun violence in the United States um, is significant. In fact, I'm pretty sure that it is statistically higher than almost any other country out there. Um, yeah. So, Jeremy, you and I are just going to kind of see where this conversation goes, uh, because youth leaders, youth ministers are responsible for helping to create a safe and welcoming environment for young people to figure out discipleship, right? Figure out who they are, whose they are, how they relate to the church and how they relate um, to, to God and who they are in Jesus and all those kinds of things. Um, and each of them in one way or another ends up being affected by gun violence, right? Whether that is they need to take part in active shooter drills at their schools uh, or, you know, get trained in different things. And there's a lot of stress that goes along with that. So the youth that we are leading swim in these waters that are affected by gun violence. This is not an easy conversation. So I will front it with all of the PTSD and trigger word warnings and those kinds yes. of things, because if you have been in a situation where you've been personally affected by gun violence, discussions like this are really hard. But yeah, because we believe that um, 
difficult conversations shouldn't be dodged, right? Like yeah, if we can't talk right. about hard things in ministry, then maybe it's not, you know, a depth of ministry that it could be and should be. So we're just going to do this and, and see where we go. So I don't know, man, how, how did the news for the the stories that came out last couple of weeks affect you or, or affect the youth that you're in ministry with? Well, I think, I don't know. I, so, you know, you said Louisville just um, happened. That's the 140 something mass shooting this year in the United States, um, which is like, I think they consider mass shooting over three people, something like that, um, which which is crazy because if I if I think about how many mass shootings I'm aware of, it feels this year it feels like a lot, um, but it's not 140 whatever, right? And and so I, you know I there's this piece of me that it's like oh it's another one, right? Which also then makes me feel super bad that like it that mass shootings in our country and in our culture are so commonplace that they they don't even make the national news right the 100 yeah. and, like you know 140 whatever right if we just think that's so between january 1st and today there's like almost 100 days mm. There's more than one a day, mm -hmm. um, and and that's it's just ridiculous. And so I think, so my my initial response is that it's um I it's so commonplace and it's so frustrating that it's so commonplace mm -hmm. and not frustrating, infuriating, mm. and, and yet there's this like. There's an amount of anger you can have about something that you ultimately have a have very little control over, mm -hmm. right? Um, and 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 so there's this like I want to say something similar to compassion fatigue, right? Where um, I can't hold space. For one hundred for every day for this massive tragedy that's happening somewhere, um, and so what I think, what I think happens for us is, um, we just shelve it, mm -hmm. compartmentalize right? it, right? Yeah, and we don't talk about it or think about it. But you know, every time my kid comes home and tells me they had an active shooter drill, it's just like ah. Oh, God, yeah, I hate that this is part of your life. Yeah, um, and I think as pastors, as people who work with those kids, like it's really important for us to to have the conversation. Um, and I think, um, and I think so. So one of the pieces that's really important uh, when um, we talk about this is sort of psychologically there's so much it's it's such a horrible thing mm -hmm. right there's it's a trauma it's a tragedy it's a it's so big um and and it can create more stress like a lot more stress 
for people when they are engaging with something that seems horrible and dire mm-hmm. and they can do nothing about it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So one of the things that I think is really important uh, when you are going to do this kind of work is to do the work ahead of time um, to figure out what is a response that you can have. Mm-hmm. Right? What is something that a teen or two in your area can do about this issue? Um, because being able to talk about it, discuss it, process it, and then move into action or at least offer action will give um, get, help your teen sort of complete this this processing of stress, right? Where it's not just like, oh, this is a bad issue. We were talking about it, but like, oh, I can do something about it. I can have some amount of control over it. And so I think it's really important to not, um, because it's happening every day, right? It's it's like, even though the news hits it, you know, once a month or whatever, um, it's happening every day. It's not, unless it's right in your community, it's not an urgent thing that you have to talk about right now. Take your time and uh, and dig into what are some things that some teens can do in your area so that you're prepared for, for that piece of it. And you can give them something that is, I guess, a little bit more psychologically helpful in that interaction. Yeah. What I about you, Chris? Well, I think that's a great suggestion. And, you know, honestly, there's a couple of things in there that... Um, are fascinating to think about, right? Because you you use the word control several times. Um, mm-hmm. And there's part of me that wonders about um, if, um, if people's desire to be able to arm themselves is a desire to think that they are adding to their ability to control a situation further. Right. Right. Um, You know, part of the part of this whole thing is how many guns are out there. Right. That um, in the United States, as of like when we're talking about this, there's there's more guns than there are people in the United States. Right. Uh, And that 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 we are the only country that has that particular statistic. Right. Almost uh, every other country has more people than they do firearms. And the other crazy thing is two thirds of the people in the United States have zero guns. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so so, more guns than people. And then it, those guns are held by only one third of the population. Yeah. And then to add to that as well, I, I know it was fairly recent legislation, but uh, with a couple of states that recently passed um, uh, concealed carry. Right. So mm-hmm. uh, that that you can carry a firearm without any kind of permitting. Uh, actually, over half the states, half of the United States have that in place now that um, not necessarily a need for training, but you can be um, a non-permitted concealed carry, right? So yeah. th- there is this amount of guns that's out there. There, There is this feeling of sometimes helplessness or lack of control. Uh, I've talked with several friends and other parents that uh, do not have guns at home and are considering getting guns because they feel so unsafe because of the other guns that are out there. Um, right. which is kind of interesting, right? Like, I, I guess I can understand the logic, but then that just adds to that number of guns that are out there. So, so that control piece is a real interesting one. Uh, you mentioned any of your kids going through an active school shooter drill. So I've had the same experience with my kids. If, if they've had one, we'll, you know, talk about, you know, how did that feel? Right. Like mm-hmm. not only do you know what to do, 
Um, but what's the emotional impact on you as you're going through needing to do that drill at school, right? Right. Um, does it, how does it make you feel when you are in this corner of the closet with 10 of your other classmates, because that's the place Mm -hmm. to be. Um, and and that level of conversation, especially because my kids are in sixth grade and in third grade, um, you have to remember that there's these emotional responses that young people will have as well. It's not all just up here. There's absolutely stuff in here as well. And I think that's, you know, goes to your point about trying to have conversations about, What's the action steps? What's the difference I can make? Where can I put some energy to to move the needle a little bit, or at least right. to have some conversations with local leaders or people in power about the concerns that I have and the effect it's having on young people and my peer group and, and those kinds of things. To me, it goes back to that emotional response piece as much as it does, you know, any of the head and the logical piece as well. Um, something that we never did um, at my church, and I wonder if I might be tempted to do one now, would be what would an active shooter plan or emergency response plan look like at church, right? Yeah. Would would that be part of uh, a fall kickoff that would be important for me to somehow include? Or how would I inform my you know, volunteer team? Or, or if I'm part of a larger church, right? How does our staff all be on the same page in terms of what emergency responses are, especially um, if you happen to be in a school that, you know, has a preschool, right? Really, mm-hmm. uh, churches have started to have to figure out some of the same things that schools and other institutions have right. with locked doors um, and open business hours and how you even get into a building, right? So right. Th- there's an interesting conundrum there too, that mm-hmm. you want uh, you want a church building to be a, a safe place, right? Again, because we mentioned that safety is such an important part of faith development and being able to ask big questions and and further discipleship. And that is physical safety. It's also emotional safety. So if you've got this church that you want to be open to do outreach with, but then you've got a front door that is on permalock and you've got to ring a doorbell with face ID to get in the building and, you know, that kind of stuff, man, how do, how do church leaders navigate um, that walk that they have to do? It, it's tough. Yeah. It's really tough. And, you know, I think, so I think that when we sort of dialing back into the youth ministry piece of it, I think a, it is important to take, think through those kind of things. And um, we had, um, we, we had a policy at my, uh, at a previous church, we called the DLR policy, <laughs> which means it doesn't look right. Mm. Right. And that idea that sometimes you just come upon something and you just have a gut feeling of like, eh, this doesn't, doesn't look right. And we had a group text um, that was just for that, right? That was only existed for uh, that sort of group texting solution. And if you came upon something that just didn't look right, right? There was a person walking around the children's preschool area that didn't seemed like they belonged there. They didn't look like a parent or whatever. Mm-hmm. You would just text into the group. You would say DLR, and then you would describe what was going on. And then people who, we had people who felt comfortable, um, you know, going up to individuals and talking to them. We had people with law enforcement background and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff who would go and, and just say, hey, how's it going? What's going on today? Can I help you? Right. Um, so that, 
so that people had a sense that like, oh, if something doesn't look right, I know what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and we didn't have active shooter drills. We didn't have that kind of stuff. But um, but we had a way to like deal with that, like unease sure. that people experience in a way that was just, we you alert you alert the whole crowd, the everyone that is in this group, which was a large group of people. So anyone that was on campus at the time would know. And um, and then it would would go from there. And now, sort of moving into the youth space, I think one of the things when we're processing this with teens is um, we need to be careful to sort of stay on task with it. For sure. Because one of the things that I, I noticed this week is there was a, a mass shooting in Nashville, an elementary yeah. school. Yeah, the school and shooting. And there was a protest, yeah. right? And there was a protest at State House. Um, and lawmakers were ejected and all of that stuff. But what happened was that the focus shifted right. from the shooting and dealing with that problem to these lawmakers, mm-hmm. right? Which was a problem, is something that needs to be deal- dealt with. But the real problem, the thing that that was about mm-hmm. was this thing over here. But now we aren't talking about this thing over here anymore. We're talking about, are those going to people going to be reinstated or whatever? And there's all kinds of problems with that, that we can get into, except that we're doing a podcast right now about school shootings or mass shootings right. yeah. and, and gun violence. And, 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 and that happens, that can happen in your discussion with students. And so one of the primary things that is is important for you when you're engaging in that conversation with students is um, is making sure that you are, are sort of the gutters, <laughs> to use a bowling metaphor, right? <laughs> that, that, that you stop the ball from going into the other lanes and keep it here. Um, otherwise it's just this meandering, you know, not helpful piece. And I think to, in order to do that, you really need some help doing that. Um, and I think there's a bunch of different resources and Chris, I know that, that you, uh, have access to some, some sort of compendium kind of resources as yeah. well. As, yeah. Yeah. You know, part, part of what, um, uh, you know, always saddens me a little bit about when we, you know, find ourselves in these conversations and the need to process further. Like you said at the beginning, is there's there, there's so many, and so we do have a resource called Courageous Conversations for Youth on Gun Violence. Um, the link is below our Facebook Live feed, and it'll also be on our podcast page. Um, and, and it very much is a tool to help a youth leader become the gutters, right? Become the right. Um, person that just helps to keep the conversation in bounds uh, and focused yes. and, and not too distracted among other things. Um, one of the other pieces for courageous conversations is that model of leading a, a discussion or leading a conversation is not necessarily about uh, debate or mm-hmm. trying to argue somebody to one side or the other of a particular right. point. It's as much about listening um, and right. going through the process of being able to more clearly understand another person's perspective and how a story or an event is affecting them, right? Uh, one of the other words that that we use today, and, and it gets used in stories as well, is the word tragedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the English undergrad book nerd part of me will come out just for a second, that <laughs> a tragedy... Um, is more than one bad thing happening. Uh, the, the idea of the Greek tragedy is something happens 
and it sets in motion this series of very, very sad and unfortunate events. Uh, and so what's tragic about mass shootings is everything that seems to follow, right? So yeah. this the the piece about the Tennessee lawmakers um, you know, being booted from that state house, part of that story of the tragedy. Um, young people not feeling like they are listened to, right? Like uh, it, it's been several years, but um, the folks from Parkland, Florida, there was a huge movement um, that yeah. was youth-led related to gun violence, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And they, through the process of trying to be politically active and motivated, did not feel listened to, felt very disenfranchised. That adds to the tragedy, right? Yeah. Like the the bad thing at the beginning is part of it. How we process and go through everything that follows afterwards is what makes it tragic, right? The The fact yeah. that we have had so many you know, mass shootings and the amount of gun violence that we do um, for decades now mm-hmm. is tragic. It, it's hard. Um, and if we don't talk about it, if we don't equip uh, our young people to be comfortable talking about this kind of thing and then help provide them connections to, you know, uh, other places for conversation outside of the church, um, it, it allows the tragedy to continue to unfold. Yeah. Um the other thing I think that's really important um, is uh, is to make sure that whenever you are doing uh, something like this, that um, that uh, that you inform your leadership like right away. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, because not that they're going to tell you to stop. Um, but because it's really important to just make sure you're above board and because this is something that people can have, I mean, with 146 this year, right? People, it is really possible that there are people in your congregation that are, uh, that are triggered by this, that have some exposure to this in their own lives personally. Mm -hmm. So it's important to not only tell your church leadership, but also let people know ahead of time that you're going to be talking about this. So that if they need to prepare themselves or if they don't feel comfortable letting their kids come right now because of the space that they're in, um, they, they feel like they've had control over that. Cause without that, you've got to, you can, you can, you can actually do some harm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really fair to say. And a lot of that comes from with this particular topic, people can be very passionate about it, right. One way or another, like, Uh Um, and when you've got that heightened level of passion and heightened level of sensitivity, you're exactly right. Uh, being able to put it on the calendar, prepare folks, um, equip them to be present or equip them to be not present if they choose to not be right. Mm-hmm. Great, great observation. Um, I've got one more last, you know, perhaps very difficult theological question for you. And um, we'll see. Well, if we before can... you say that, yeah. just yeah. I just want to put. Uh, there's also, we have a th- something called the general board of church and society yes. that deals with this kind of, these kinds of issues and, and also advocates for, uh, in our government for what we feel like is, uh, the just, um, yeah. just path. And they have some really, really great things. Um, these little fact sheets, fact cards that you, that they put together about a range of different issues. And there's one on gun violence. Um, these cards are called faith and facts cards. And this one, it, it has, what does the Bible say? What does the United Methodist church say? Uh, what do the facts say? What do you, do you say? It gives you a way to take action. It's, they're really great. And I find them 
a really helpful thing that you can print up and uh, and hand out or at least have available for people. They've got them on a range of issues, definitely gun violence, uh, also peace building and immigration and global health and gambling and food justice and living ways, domestic violence, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. We'll put that link there in the comments. Yeah, that's a great suggestion. And, and those come from a document called The Social Principles. Uh, and that is revisited like every four years as well uh, as part yeah. of general conference stuff. So yeah, super duper great resource. And if you're not familiar with those, great ones to pull up. Um, all right. So so here's the tough question I'll ask at the end here, Jeremy. Um, one of the ways that we could look at the the teachings that Jesus has, right, as he goes from Old Testament into New Testament stuff is that um, I think Jesus might make the case that the desire to do something that is unethical or immoral or generally considered bad might be as bad as actually doing the thing itself, right? That Old Testament says adultery is bad. Don't cheat on your spouse. Jesus says, if you even think about doing adultery, that's just as bad, right? Like you're on the way there. So doing violence to another person is bad. The desire to do violence might also be bad, right? Like as we think about that take on the way that Jesus taught. So are there uh, are there prayers, are there spiritual practices, are there conversation points that might be important for youth leaders to be able to be familiar with as young people navigate the feelings that come with growing up, right? Because you and I have talked about brain development and and you know, uh, forecasting and decision-making and and all those kinds of things. And young people don't have a fully formed part of their brain to play out all of the consequences right. of their actions, but they are having these huge feelings. And you know what? Sometimes they are going to feel like they want to punch a wall or yep. kick somebody in the shin or bite somebody's kneecap. Um, and sometimes it gets worse than that, right? So, yeah. so how do we have conversations about where those like deep emotions and and desires to cause harm to others come from and what's a faithful response to that? How, how do we process those? I know yeah. that's a giant question. It is a giant question. I've got many books on the shelf in front of me that are written just around that one question. Oh, good. Um, Cause you only have like 90 seconds left to answer it. So that's right. So <laughs> I will say, first off, I'm not sure I agree with that interpretation of okay. Jesus' teaching. Okay. Uh, we can start there. That's okay. I, I would say that uh, there's a practice called uh, putting a fence around the law. It's a rabbinical teaching method. Okay. Where they would say, here's, here's the sin, right? And then here's this boundary that we should set so that we don't actually get to, to, to crossing that line. Mm -hmm. Right. So like, if you could fall off of the cliff, you're actually put the fence back several feet from the cliff, right? Sure. So that you don't do that. I think that it's possible that when Jesus is teaching those things, he's using a combination of, um, of oh, I just lost the, the name. It's like using an extreme, using an extreme like- Hyperbole? Hyperbole. I think he's using a, a combination. I would say it's quite possible. There's no way to know. But he's using a combination of hyperbole mixed with the fence around the law concept that yeah. was, uh, was possible. And, and, and that's because I, when I look at 
the Bible, I look at a, I, I see, especially like I think of the Psalms as uh, and my professor in seminary called the Psalms as like the prayer book of the Bible, right? Um, and the Psalms have all kinds of violent things, like God, Super would you please murder right? all of my enemies and their babies, mm-hmm. right? It's like really, really, um, and and it, and it doesn't seem, it doesn't seem that like this sort of innate human thing of like anger and sometimes anger boiling over into rage is in itself evil, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's in itself human. Mm-hmm. And and if we say it's in itself evil, then we actually put a taboo around talking about that that might not be healthy. Sure. So when I'm thinking about uh, uh, teens, uh, I want to talk about, yeah, okay, so maybe you are very angry some uh, someday, and maybe you're even angry to the point that you might sort of in the heat of anger, say, I just want to kill somebody, mm-hmm. right? Um, I'm hoping that you don't actually want to kill somebody. Um, but let's talk about how we process anger, mm-hmm. right? And what are the healthy ways to do that? Um, because sometimes my my feeling is that anger is meant to help us act. Mm. Um, that's one of the things that anger does is it lowers your threshold for uh for making uh, decisions, right? It causes you to act more impulsively. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be helpful, especially when you're in danger, somebody else is in danger, right? The idea is that the anger emotion helps move us to action and get us beyond these things that might hold us back from acting against something that is actually bad. Now, if we are not careful with our actions, we can act out in a way that's not ultimately helpful. Yeah. Right. But yeah. if you look at, at the New Testament, Jesus, there's this moment where he turns over the tables, he grabs a whip and he drives people out of the temple with a whip. Mm-hmm. Right. That's pretty WWJD, violent. buddy. No, that's right. <laughs> it's pretty violent. And um, and so I'm not sure that violence in itself has to be evil, but I think that it's this carefully curated experience. Right, that we have to like when we are angry, we have to process it in a way that's helpful, and we have to to do these. We have to do these practices that helps maybe take the heat off our anger, takes make us go from rage to anger, right? And and then we can say, okay, like if if anger is supposed to uh, make me do something about an injustice, mm. right? Then first, is this an injustice, or is this just my hormone? playing tricks on me right right sometimes it is an injustice sometimes somebody bullies you and you just want to like rip their face off or whatever that's i heard a team say that one time right they actually said i just want to rip their face off and i was like well, that's horrifying and, and specific said, I, I don't that's yeah. like i don't they were like i don't i don't mean that and i was like no no i, I get it you're really angry um but you know that, and and they were bullied that's worth being angry about. It's also worth doing something about bullying, right? And let's channel that anger instead of trying to like physically hurt that person. Let's challenge that anger to something that might actually make an impact on bullying in in that area. Yeah, um, and and to go back to your like bowling metaphor and, and helping people keep gutters on, you know, there is that call to action, but. Mm-hmm. 
when when rage or when anger makes you act blindly, um, mm-hmm. that can be very dangerous, right? Yeah. And so those kind of responses are very different than a, a, an intentional response that that is meant to drive some kind of transformation uh, for the issue, for the person, for you know that kind of a thing. And it's not necessarily a violent reaction, right? Like mm-hmm. we are doing New Testament stuff. Um, this would be another one of those ones that's fairly clear in terms of like the difference between eye for an eye and turn the other cheek. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The intentionality behind the action of turning the cheek or yeah. um, somebody taking your cloak or you know, your shirt and you give them your cloak also. It, it, yeah. There's an intentionality that's there that's a nonviolent response to mm-hmm. something that is an injustice and mm-hmm. it is designed to make other people think and call attention to the situation so that you're also not in it alone. Um, right. When you specifically talk bullying or, you know, sometimes the, the isolation that can then can cause somebody to consider very, very violent acts. Uh, it reminds mm-hmm. me of a previous conversation that you and I had about our favorite parables. And one of yours was the man who thinks to himself, <laughs> Right. <laughs> right. Um, that that there's this communal thing. And so, uh, again, this conversation is a big deal to be able to have in community so that mm-hmm. if somebody is struggling or feels angry enough to do something about what they're seeing, that mm-hmm. they've got a community that helps them understand what a healthy response looks like. Yeah. 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 Man, good conversation. I know the conversation for like two or three more hours on it. Right. Uh, but we should stop for now. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, we'll be here next week. We will. And and I want you to, you know, I, I just want you to know I appreciate being able to have the very fun conversations and also these very serious ones yeah. as well. Um, I, I think it's a healthy model for youth ministry leaders to, um, you know, be able to engage in tough conversations like we said at yeah. the time. Um, so my prayer for everybody is, of course, I, I hope that you feel emboldened um, or called or passionate enough um, to look around you and see if there are injustices, to see if there's yep. things that aren't quite right. What what was the acronym that you used at your church? The three letter thing? Oh, DLR don't doesn't look right. If something D, if something DLRs, right? Um, whether that's in your church or your community, right? That you pay attention when your eyes are open. So my prayer for you is that your eyes are open for those DLRs, uh, mm-hmm. and that you're feeling equipped and ready to have conversations about how to change those things. Um, Jeremy, look forward to next week's conversation, of course. See you next time. See you then.